So we have been going through a series called The Giver, and we are going to wrap that sermon up, or that series up today, um, talking about one more element of this. It's interesting, as I was kind of researching this, and, and many of you know that I do kind of money professionally, so I have been in and around it for almost 25 years. My dad did this before me, my mom worked at a bank for 42 years, so money is kind of something I've always been around. And as I have come to realize that when we talk about giver, when we talk about the things that we've been talking about in this series, money, really about this much of the total wealth that God has given us as people. It's really the smallest part. And it is true that there are some people who are so poor, all they have is money. But when we talk about this here today, I want you to think beyond just money. I want you to think about all of the resources that God has entrusted to you, to us, the gifts, the talents, all of those things. The other thing that I want to emphasize before we get into this today is oftentimes money comes with this feeling of condemnation, shame. Who has more than enough money? Who's rich? I like that. That's good. Other people are like, well, you know, I didn't get that promotion. There's a lot of condemnation that comes with money. In fact, they say that divorces that happen, um, more than 50% are the result of arguments over money. So as we go into this today, I was really kind of struck as we got into the worship. Don't feel condemnation. Don't feel shame. Don't let the enemy lie to you as we go through this, the rest of this series here today. Recognize that as the deer pants for the water, our soul cries out to God. He's the one who provides. And if you're not in the best financial position today, you've got a God who provides. And so I just want you to listen to these words today and see what the Holy Spirit has to say to you about your financial situation. And so before we get into this, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you have allowed me the opportunity to be up here to be your spokesperson today. And Lord, I've been around money my whole life, but you have taught me so many things just in the last few years. And the lessons you continue to show me are changing my life day by day. And I just pray, Lord, that as I speak up here today, that your words will resonate, that they would be your words, that they would strike home. Lord, I pray that there would be no condemnation or shame in this group. I pray, Lord, that your love would just surround everyone here. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in this Giver series, we've had kind of two main themes that we've talked about. Stewardship and motivation. And today we're going to get into a third, sowing and reaping. To do that, I want to kind of recap where we've been. And so I want to talk a little bit about stewardship first. Um, the Greek word, as many of you know, when I find words in the Bible, I have to find the Greek to see what does this actually mean. The Greek word for steward is oikonomos, which comes from two words, oikos, which is house, and nomos, which is uh, to allot or a portion. So basically, a steward is the one who's responsible for the house rules. It's used in Greek. Um, Oftentimes, it is not an English word that has a direct translation. 
In fact, we would call it a manager, an administrator, a trustee, but none of the English words that we have available really capture the rich picture of the leadership, the authority, and the accountability that the original Greek words portray. One thing that we do get across when we think of a steward today is the authority that they have was never to be used for their own good. It was always the interest of the master to whom he was accountable, he or she was accountable. The steward, if you think about it today, might be a butler in the house of a wealthy person. They have access to a bedroom. They have access to the food. They have access to the entire house. But whose house is it? Whose resources is it? As we think about it today, I want us to think about ourselves as stewards. We are stewards. There is a 21st century American philosophy all about ownership. That is a worldly construct, though. The Bible doesn't talk about us as owners. We are stewards. Here's the thing. This is true whether you're a believer or not. As a believer, we recognize that from all things, or God gives all things to us, right? All things come from him. As a non-believer, you're thinking, well, no, I earn it, and it's mine. You can believe that. It still isn't true. The fact is that the resources belong to God, period, end of story. The question is, what do we do with those resources when we get them? Hopefully, as a believer, we have a mature relationship and we're able to apply those resources and steward them properly as the, the steward and the, the ten talents or, or something like that. As a non-believer or even as an immature believer or even as someone who is a mature believer but doesn't quite get some of these financial concepts, you may say, I give some to God, but the rest is mine to do with what I want. Not the case. When we look into stew, uh, sowing and reaping today, I'm going to reframe that almost as kingdom building. When we sow, we are helping to build a kingdom. The question is, whose kingdom is it that we're building? If we build our kingdom, that's using the resources as if they're ours. That's the trick of the enemy. Because the fact of the matter is, our kingdom is actually the enemy's kingdom. We need to be building God's kingdom with his resources. Does that make sense? Once we get that concept of stewardship, not ownership, we can then move on to what the right motivation is. But I want to focus just a little bit more on stewardship. And I want to talk about an actual, let's call it a butler. Let's say that you are a butler in the house of the wealthiest person in the area. And this person has all of these rules of the house. And you comply, you follow these rules, and you do such a good job. What do they do? They give you a promotion. Then you give your life to the Lord. And you're transferred out of this house. And you're transferred into his house. Does Jesus have the same rules for finance that the world does? You think they're kind of different or radically different? Way different. Now some of the actions that you're going to take are going to look the same, but the motivation is going to be entirely different. But now I want to ask a question. So everybody who has given their lives to the Lord, did you just automatically like change? 
was there like a radical transformation for you? Like you all of a sudden were here and then the next day you knew all of this godly biblical stuff? No, you have to like learn it over time, right? So what happens when we're taken out of, I'm going to call it mammon's household, and you're placed into God's household? Do you just all of a sudden know all the new rules? No. But there are new rules, right? For instance, the, the way of the world, the way of mammon, the American dream even, do what you got to do to get ahead, right? Nobody is going to give you an easy path. You got to, if there's something you want, you got to go out and get it. No free lunch, right? All of these are, are ways of the world. All of these are common sayings, right? Some of them we believe in, and then they get carried to their extreme. And I think about that old movie, Wall Street, where Gordon Gecko comes out and says, greed is good. I mean, you take that so far and you can start to see, okay, there's something wrong with this set of rules. But when we get transferred into the kingdom of God, when we give our lives to Jesus, does our attitude towards money change overnight? It should, but does it? And do we really know how our attitude should change? What if we get into God's household? Again, let's use this analogy of us being butlers in the new house. Jesus comes walking down the steps. You meet him at the door. You've got your tuxedo on. You know, he's about to head out for the day. And he says, oh, by the way, um, I want you to give $100 to everybody that stops by today. I'll see you tonight. Whose resources are they? His. Now, if in your prayer time this morning, the Lord told you to give $100 to everybody you came into contact with, does anybody have like that kind of context where the Lord would actually say that to you? Has anybody ever had an experience where it's like the Lord told you to do something radical with your money? Anyone? It's hard to do. When you know it, you know it. If you have the right attitude towards money, that's something that you're, you're able to see. But sometimes we can't even see that that's what God is telling us about our funds because we think of them as our funds. It's his house. It's his rules. It's our job to learn what those rules are. Now, when we learn those rules and we become a good steward in God's house, what happens? He's able to trust us with more. So everything belongs to him. He doesn't need any more resources. We can't get God richer. He has everything already. He can give us more to steward, but if we don't know his house rules, are we going to know how to steward his funds? Probably not. Is he going to give us access to more to steward if we're not ready? Probably not. Now, here's the next thing that I think is really kind of interesting in this analogy. Imagine that we are really good stewards over here in the world. We have, well, maybe even lied. We've kind of cheated sometimes. We've cut corners, and we have really amassed money. Over here in Mammon's household, you've done a good job. You're rewarded, right? What happens when you're transferred over here and you follow those same rules? Well, Mammon isn't going to be able to bless you, right? The steward of the old worldly house, he can't bless you. But you're over here in God's household, and you're following the rules of the world. Is God going to bless you? 
are you following his rules? Or are you doing it according to the way of the world? And we see a lot of people in the church that have come out of the world but have kept worldly concepts with money. We haven't recognized that we aren't owners of anything. We're stewards of what's his. And once we get that concept, we're able to then move into motivation. And so for motivation, Cooper, if you could put up the most famous verse, the most popular verse, the most quoted verse probably of all time, John 3:16. Everybody knows this? All right, say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Motivation. For God so loved the world that he gave. We could almost end the verse right there. If we just look at that first portion of the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave, what was God's motivation for giving? Love. So out of love, love compelled God to give. And he gave his only son so that who could benefit? Us. Specifically us, generally speaking, Love compelled God to give so that others would benefit. You guys see that? That right there is the absolute key to finance in the Bible, to giving, to sowing and reaping, to all of these different concepts. Love compels us to give for the benefit of others. If you look at the Bible, there are 215 verses on faith. There's 218 on salvation and 2,300 on money, wealth, and possessions. In Jesus's time speaking on earth, 16 of his 38 parables were about money. It's a big concept. But this sums up right here where every one of us as believers should be. Love compels us to give for the benefit of others. We're made in God's image. We're made to give. We're made to be a blessing to others. So what happens when we enter into sowing and reaping without understanding the stewardship and motivation? Those are the most important ingredients to understand sowing and reaping. And so as I was thinking about this, um, my wife and I like this show and the kids tolerate it. Uh, it's called the Great British Baking Show. And these guys get out. Okay, right? So it, I think it was last season. I, I'm not sure. But there was this lady who um, all these guys have to bake these items for the judges. And they were doing desserts week. And so they were baking cakes. And this lady baked this cake that just looked incredible. She had like, you know, all of the sponge right? And then he had different layers of like, there was like cheese in there, but then there was like fruits. And then she covered the whole thing with this chocolate drizzle that turned into like this mirror glaze. And I was just drooling watching the show. And then you see the judges come up and they take the knife and they cut the cake and oh, just the way the knife fell through the cake. Puts the slice on his plate and you're like, oh, what does it taste like? I can just imagine and you see the judge take a bite of the cake and the look on his face is just like all screwed up and weird. And you're like, what? And he says, 
you use salt instead of sugar. Think about that. Oh, can you imagine? I mean, it looks beautiful. It looks perfect. It looks so tasty. You can tell what it's going to taste like. But you're expecting sugar, not salt. Sowing and reaping without understanding motivation and stewardship is like a cake made with salt. We've seen this philosophy in some churches. It's made popular by our culture. And it teaches something along the lines of the more you give, the more you can get. They say, you know, God wants to take your offering, wants to shake it down, press it together. He wants to return it 30, 60, 100 fold. The more you sow, even if it's on credit, the more you'll reap. So what's the problem with this? I mean, it's, it's true that poverty and lack are not God's will for his people. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, we're in this whole 2 Corinthians, um, actually says that his plan for us is to have sufficiency in all things and an abundance for all good works. So we know that poverty and lack aren't God's will. I mean, it looks like a chocolate cake, right? Sowing and reaping, they are biblical principles, absolutely. Again, right there, 2 Corinthians 9, this has been our whole series on this scripture, talks all about sowing and reaping, and sowing and reaping definitely do apply to money. And God does want to magnify our rewards. He says so in Luke. He says so in Romans. He says so many places in the Bible. So what's wrong with this cake? What's wrong is the motivation. Think about this. If I'm in a position where I want to give with the expectation that I'm going to get more in return, we've done it wrong. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? Love compelled him to give for the benefit of others. In this situation, we've got the motivation wrong. Greed, self-interest, motivates us to give in order to benefit us. Motivation is off. There's salt in this cake. It's not sugar. Money is what we're after, and so let's use God to get it. At the end of the day is what that philosophy espouses. Not where we're at. So stewardship, again, there's a false assumption that's what, given, what is given is ours. What's given is not ours. What's given is our responsibility. In fact, um, I had this idea of another analogy. Imagine at a bank, there's two tellers. Has anybody been in a bank in the last two years? I don't know. Do people still do that? Okay, like this half of the room, I don't know what that's about. So everybody knows what a teller is? My mom was a teller at a bank for 40-some years, so I know all about what happens with tellers. But think about this story, okay? You have two tellers at a bank. One teller window is right by the door. And then there's another teller window a little further away. And customers come into the bank. Where do they just naturally go when they walk in? They probably go to the first window because it's closest to the door. Yeah? And then when that teller window is busy, somebody will go over here. And so at the end of the day, this teller over here by the window said, so, uh, said to his buddy over at the other teller window, how much money did you bring in today? I think about this, right? So let's say that teller one over by the window here brought in $100,000 during his shift. Teller number two had $25,000 of deposits during the day. And then teller one says, well, 
I definitely brought in more. How much did you give out today? Because my window was busy. I gave out $95,000. How much did you give? $15,000. Okay. Do you think there'd be something wrong if teller one thinks that he's more important than teller two? Imagine the bank. Are they going to value one teller higher than the other teller? No. I, it, it's foolish, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't make sense. It, it's the bank's money. It's actually the customer's money through the bank. It's not the teller's money. And yet, here we have this situation happening in life all the time. God's blessed me with this much. Whereas, over here, I can tell he hasn't blessed you with as much. Really? Is that how we're supposed to be looking at life? No. How are we stewarding whatever resources God has given us access to? There's another lie in here, and it has to do with finite versus infinite resources. In a worldly construct, in the kingdom here on earth, under, call it mammon, you have finite resources. There's going to be a shortage. There's going to be a lack. You need to get as much as you can while you can. Whereas in the kingdom of heaven, our God's the inheritor of all things and the creator of all things. There is no lack. There's no chance he's ever going to run out. Which kingdom are we actually operating out of? Do we feel like we have finite resources? Do we act like there's a shortage? Or do we actually operate out of this kingdom that says, you know what, God, it's all yours. And so if you tell me to give, I'm given. And if you tell me to go left, I'm going left. It shouldn't matter. Yet in our American society, boy, you, you can spend an hour in the word of God every day and the enemy only has 23 hours left in the day to lie to you. And that is what we get hit with. We get hit with it on TV. We get hit with it in books. We get hit with it on podcasts, on Facebook, any other social media source. I mean, every hour of the day, the enemy's trying to hit us with this concept, this worldly construct of what finances should be. And it's just not true. We need to break free from this. So sowing and reaping done right. When we as stewards have the proper motivation, we can see sowing as an investment made out of love for the benefit of others. Keep that in mind. Sowing and reaping is all about making investments as a result of being compelled to do so by love for the benefit of others. Now, do we get a reward? Yeah, we do. And we'll get an imperfect reward here in this life. And then that reward will be made full in heaven. But that can't be the motivation. We cannot give to get. You know, there's a story in Matthew 6 about... Um, the man who was giving, the Pharisee, who was doing charitable deeds, and Jesus said he has his reward. He did it with a faulty motivation, and having the people see him and think highly of him, that was his reward, because that was his motivation. Motivation in the New Testament helps to determine what your reward is going to be. So how do we sow and reap the right way? I'll tell you a story of 
two families living on two rivers. So there was this mountaintop that had this huge snow cap on the top. And the snow was melting, but there was so much snow on the top that there was no way that it was ever going to melt completely down. And the snow that melted ran down the mountain and created two rivers. And there's a family that lives over here on this river and another family that lives over here on this river. This family living over here on this river, boy, they saw that they had a bunch of kids. They had a lot of needs. They had a lot of consumption of water that was necessary. And so they started to make dams in that river to siphon water off to help with all of their needs. And as they saw the water coming down the mountain, they thought, you know, there's, there's enough left over that uh, if we just dammed off a little bit more, we could probably actually have a, a swimming pool. And so they foolishly began to dam off a little bit more. And then people from the town started to come over and enjoyed swimming in their pool. And they said, well, you know, if we actually just dam off a little bit more of this river, we could actually have a water park. And before you know it, they had foolishly dammed off the entire river. And all of the water was going right there. That water, though, had no escape. And so after a while, it became stagnant. Nobody wanted to come to the water park. The pool was contaminated. It just got pretty bad. Now over here on the second river, there was a family that, uh, yeah, they had a number of kids too. They had a pretty big need for consuming water. But they knew what they needed, and they knew what they didn't. And so they consumed what water was necessary. And as the kids grew and left the house, they had less need for consumption of water. And so they were able to actually look at the need further down the river and actually cut out some channels to go into other areas of the town that weren't located by the river. And over time, they had carved out so many different channels that there were all of these like sub-rivers that were going out and feeding entire populations of people. And you know what happened to the river? They never ran out. And so I think in the kingdom of God, the question is, what is our attitude towards money? What is our attitude towards our resources? Do we end up being damn-making fools? Or do we let the water go by and help to benefit others further downstream? If the resources are not ours, but we are to steward them, then the trick is learn what's needed for you and then invest the rest. In fact, we see in 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11, it says, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So who, how does the... Uh, if you go back, Cooper, to verse 10, how do we go about getting the seed and the bread? Does it say go out and strive and work and put in all the hours? It actually says that it's God who su supplies it, right? It doesn't say that we have to go and earn and strive and work and strain. It says that God's actually the one who's providing. That's an indication there of our stewardship. But here's the key. Stewardship is pretty simple. Determine what you need for bread. That's the consumption piece. And the rest is seed to be sown. Pretty simple. Don't eat the seed. 
don't plant the bread. There you go. I teach my kids in budgeting that uh, that's about as complicated as you need to get. Don't eat the seed, don't plant the bread. How much do you need? So with my family, I have five kids and you know, I've got some kids that are getting into their teen years now and uh, they consume food like you would not believe. Um, not to call anybody out in particular, but uh, <laughs> I made French toast the other day. It was two loaves of bread, over a dozen eggs, and it's just amazing. Where we're at in our lives right now, we have higher consumption needs. And so our seed for sowing is less than what it might be for those who have no kids or the kids are out of the house or their kids eat like normal kids. We have higher consumption. That's okay. That's okay. Just because you have this much coming in and you're not able to give this much, that's okay. I think where the Lord has us is it's not a right wrong scenario. It is a maturity scenario. Identify what is it? What do you need? Now, if you're caught up in the ways of the world, what you need is always just a little bit more, right? I mean, that is the American way. You want to go out, you want to get, 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 and once you've gotten everything that you can get, get more and just keep on doing that, and that determines your worth. In the kingdom of God, he says, I have all the resources, and I can give you access to as many different resources as you need. How much do you need? So I encourage you, have that conversation with the Lord. What is it that I need in my family? And what is it, Lord, that we can give? And then the final piece on that is, again, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about all the different areas of life. In fact, I was just talking to someone the other day, and he had not been a good steward of his attitude. He had what he felt was a judgmental attitude and had been using that judgmental attitude to, to judge the church that he was going to, which I confirmed was not ours. He had some issues, though, and he felt the Lord was saying to him, let those things go. He was not being a good steward of his attitude. Once he changed his attitude, all of a sudden his distant family started to attend the church and then started getting involved in the church. And now they're going on missions trips. And I looked at that, and I knew I was preparing for the sermon. And I thought, you know, how interesting that is, that that was a stewardship. He was not being a good steward of even just his attitude. But once he changed his attitude, once he became a better steward of that, the reward grew. We have time. We have treasure. We have talents. I mean, you see it this morning. You see Mackenzie, you see Jesse up on the stage. They're stewarding the talents that God has given them. That's awesome. They may not have a penny to give, but what they're giving here is a stewardship of the resources that God has entrusted to them. Yeah? So, If we go back to the scripture that we started this whole series on, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, and the Bible is filled with other examples, but just to stay there, what are some of the rewards that we get 
when we steward properly. Uh, Cooper, if you go to verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. It's having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. What's some of the reward for our proper stewardship of the resources that God has given us? How about abounding grace? How about total sufficiency in all things? How about abundance for every good work? How about going further? I think it's in verse 10 or 11. It's uh, increasing fruits of righteousness. It's like every time we sow, we plant a tree, and we have more and more fruit that grows on that tree over time. Do we get to benefit from the fruit from the trees that we plant? Absolutely. So, final thoughts on this. We are stewards, tasked with helping our master build his kingdom. Or we're building our own kingdom, which is not actually our kingdom. We are either scattering seeds abroad or we're scattering seeds for the kingdom. If money is the determining factor for you to do something, that means you're for sale. And if you're for sale, the devil will find your price. What is your motivation? God has given us access to many resources in the form of gifts, talents, time, and passions. Stewarding these is investing them. And to be done right, it's out of love for the benefit of others. So we are responsible for seeking God's kingdom first, last, and only through our stewardship and motivation. He's responsible for the rest. He is able to give exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we could ever ask or think. And so as I wrap up here today, I just want everybody to begin to think more. What does it mean to be a steward? What are my motivations? Be in prayer. Ask the Lord, what are my motivations for what it is I'm doing? Am I for sale? Have I done things as a result of fear of lack? Or am I operating out of a spirit of abundance? I'm going to pray now, and then I'll let Mackenzie take over. So, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you, Father, that you have entrusted us with so many incredible gifts, so many talents, so many treasures that we can steward to build your kingdom. I thank you, Lord, that part of the joy, part of the reward is the fruit that we see out of these investments. And I pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts to understand what it is that we need to consume. What is the bread that we need for food so that we may know what the seed is that we can sow? whether it's financial, whether it's with our time, whether it's with our attitudes, whatever it may be. Lord, may it all be done and used for your glory. I thank you that you are the God in control. I thank you that you are the good gift giver. I just bless these people here today, Lord, with a greater understanding of just how much you love them. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.